Well, good morning. I heard Mr. Butch, and that's all I heard. Good morning. There we go. Appreciate it. Happy Father's Day. It is good to be back with you. If you have your Bibles, go to the book of Ruth. Uh, the book of Ruth, if you don't know where the book of Ruth is, it is right after the book of Judges, right before Samuel. If that doesn't help you out, then like I say often, go to the table of contents. Nobody's judging around here and find the book of Ruth. If you don't own a copy of God's Word, we do have some in the back at our giving tables. Now, those are free gifts to you. You can grab that. Or if you need a larger print, no judgment on that either. There's some larger prints in the foyer uh, at the guest tables there. And so we have we, we, everything with iPads are we giving away. Uh, and so no electronic devices. Are we actually have Bibles back there that you can have. Uh, but anyway, the book of Ruth. Uh, Luke did a, a great, uh, awesome job uh, last week. Uh, Ash and I and her family uh, were down in Destin suffering for the Lord. Uh, and so... <clears throat> It was rough times, and so thank you, Luke, for, for teaching us last week, continuing on uh, in this series. Luke, uh, as Luke talked about last week, he, he, he carried on the story, and so when we start the book of Ruth, if you're not familiar with the book of Ruth, let me just kind of give you a nutshell where we are. Uh, this is a story. Uh, it's, it's different than a New Testament book when you're reading through the New Testament. These are letters that were written uh, to churches, and so therefore, uh, they are to be written, uh, you can read them and digest and, and break down verse by verse and, and things like that, and we do that in these stories, but stories, especially the book of Ruth, are, are intended tended to be read as a story, uh, as, a, as a movie, if you will. If you wanted to look uh, really this morning, like we're going to finish like scene one or act one, if you will. It's this story as we read through. So we have to, we have to see it that way. And so uh, the story starts in chapter one by there being a famine in Bethlehem. And, for, and uh, from Bethlehem, there was this dude named, named Elimelech. He had a wife named Naomi and they had two sons. And because of the famine, they chose to go to a place called Moab. And so Moab is a place that really they were restricted to have anything to do with because of their uh, Moab's beginnings. And anyway, you can go back to the past two sermons and check that out uh, and really read. There's, it's crazy how many books in the Old Testament speak negatively about the Moabites. And so just pick a book and there's a good chance you're going to see something about the Moabites. And anyway, so uh, they go to Moab because of famine, uh, and while they're there, uh, the Naomi and Elimelech's sons marry two Moabite women. Uh, then eventually, through the 10-year process, uh, all the men die, and Naomi is left with these two, Mo two Moabite women, one named Orpah, one named Ruth. And so that was where we started the first week. That was the scene. And then last week, uh, it was the journey home or the journey back to uh, Israel, to the promised land. And, and how at first Oprah and Ruth were walking with Naomi. And then Naomi stops them. And you know the story that Oprah goes back to her hometown, her home to Moab. And Ruth commits to stay with Naomi. So this morning, what I'm going to do is I'm going to finish chapter one, finish the first scene, if you will, set up really chapter two. And I will tell you this is like, so, so far we've met some people, we know their circumstances and their circumstances are pretty dire. And then last week 
Luke talked about some of the things going on in Naomi's heart and mind. Well, this morning, it kind of explodes. Like, we really get to see what's going on in Naomi's heart and her mind. Like, we really get to see, like, just how stressed and uh, hurt, uh, afflicted, we really just kind of go to, gets to the to crescendo of her, her situation. And so let's read Ruth chapter 1 beginning in verse 19 says so the two of them so that would be Naomi and Ruth uh, two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem and when they came to Bethlehem tell me if this doesn't sound like living in Laurel Mississippi the whole town was stirred because of them Uh, they saw them coming and the word stirred literally could be translated they were murmuring and so when Naomi walks in all this little gossip and, and talk starts and so when I read that I was like What's up, Laurel? Uh, anyway, did they, get a, did they come to Bethlehem or did they come back to Jones County? But anyway, let's keep going. The whole town was stirred because of them. And the women said, is this Naomi? And listen to Naomi's heart. She's saying words, but you're really seeing what's going on. She said, she said to them, do not call me Naomi. Call me Mara. Now, we talked about two weeks ago how Naomi's name literally means pleasant. So the story begins with this lady who is pleasant, and now when she gets back home, and there's this stirring happening, and they said, is this Naomi? She said, don't call me pleasant anymore. She said, call me Mar, which literally means bitter. So we're beginning to see this this really descent of Naomi, and it's about to explode so much so that don't call me pleasant anymore, call me bitter. She said, call me Mar, listen to this, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me, and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? If we're to be honest this morning, for some of us, that's, uh, that's tough to read. Like, uh, and, a, and a little bit in the sermon, I, I want to talk about, like, well, how does that make you feel to see uh, Naomi talking like that? But what we see is this expression where she says, hey, I'm bitter, and the reason I'm bitter is because God has afflicted me. The reason why I don't want to be called pleasant anymore is because I've been dealt a hand by God that I, I'm no longer a pleasant person. And we look at that, and for a lot of us, we go, oh, well, we can't talk about God that way. And we can't say that God has done these things. But what we see is a woman who has been struggling. What we see is someone who life has literally crushed her, and she is expressing deep down. Listen to me. I'm more thankful for her honesty than I am about some, some religious makeup that we put on and act like everything's okay. But anyway, that's, that's not even in my notes, so let's keep moving. And so she says that he has brought me back empty. And then verse 22 says, so Naomi, so this, she says this to the women. The verse 22 says, so Naomi returned and Ruth the Moabite. Did you catch that? Like the, the author has to keep us remembering that Ruth was a Moabite. Uh, and so Naomi and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law with her, who returned from the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. Pray with me. Father, we love you. God, we thank you for your love for us. God, we do pray for your spirit uh, to open our eyes and that he will guide us into truth um, and teach us all things. God, he'll give us eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts to believe. 
God, I do pray that as we, as we navigate through the difficulties of, of your sovereignty and our calamities, God, that you will, your spirit will guide us as we navigate through that. God, I do believe that this morning that we may not can say that we have the same life as Naomi, but I would say that there's probably many people in here who have felt this way and even said these things. So God, I pray that we learn this morning of how to navigate through life and understanding that you are sovereign over all things. God, we love you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So yeah, like I said, this is the end of the first scene. This is the the beginning setting of the second scene where we meet the guy named Boaz or the story begins to change, but the, the story ends with him getting, ba- <clears throat> sorry, getting back. And it's a story full of hardship and, and God's sovereignty and, <clears throat> and grief and processing feelings and, and all of these things. And so uh, the, the, the way that we're teaching through this series is that there's a, there's a format. It's, there, it's the story. So what we do when we're, when we're teaching a, a narrative like this, we're going to tell the story. We're going to teach the story. We're going to teach the truth. And then we're going to say how it points to Christ. That's the, the formula that we're following each week. Uh, I did check. I, I listened back to make sure Luke did that. And if not, I was going to get on to him for not. Anyway, uh, but anyway, that's the kind of the format that we are following. And so what What's the story? So here it says, verse 19. So the two of them, we know who that is, Naomi and Ruth, they went until they came to Bethlehem. The reality is we don't, we don't know a lot about their journey. We know that they were in Moab. We got to Mo- they got to Moab because of the famine and Elimelech led them there. We don't know exactly where in Moab that they were. So we don't know exactly the journey where they actually came, you know, the, the route that they took to get back to Bethlehem. We don't know... Uh, how they traveled? Did they have a, a donkey, or did they have some kind of a wagon? Did they have? Did they? The, we don't know how they traveled. We <clears throat> did they have something to ride on? We do know that it was anywhere from forty-five to ninety miles. But on this journey, on this journey back, this return is the word, word that Luke lose last last week. The return to Bethlehem. Did they? Was there much conversation? Was there? What was the mood? Was there? Any ray of hope, was it just full of despair? And the, the writer doesn't give us any of that. But what we do know is they eventually they did, that they did arrive. And when they did arrive, everybody knew it. And so think for a moment, for the, for the whole town to know that they had arrived, it, it kind of can indicate a few things. Maybe Elimelech and his family were, were notable people. Maybe they were well off. And if you actually re- continue to read the book, you know, they were landowners. And so they probably were more wealthy. They had many things and people knew who they were. Or maybe people had heard of their drama. Right? Does this sound familiar? Like maybe people had heard like, <laughs> you believe that their sons went down there and married some Moabites, heathens. And could you imagine the, the stirring that began to go around? And so when Naomi and Ruth walk in to town, everybody sees it. And author is very clear to indicate that to us, that they see it, and it causes this stir. It causes this murmuring, hey, 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 there's Naomi, there's Naomi. Hey, who's, is, that a, is that a Moabite? Like, what is going on? What type of person? Like, so you, you hear this story, and so finally somebody says, is that Naomi? Somebody has enough courage to not just kind of talk behind her and say, is this Naomi? Am I the only one that thought, man, this is like so familiar? 
Like post, post, some, post something very vague on Facebook, like urgent prayer requests and ask how many, unspoken, how many people are going to ask you, what, what do you need prayer for? <laughs> I, you know what I'm talking about? Like, I'm closer to God, so if you would tell me what it is, I'll get it straight to him. You know what I'm talking about? Everybody knows exactly what I'm talking about right now. But anyway, so that's the, I got, I'm, I'm giving, that's the picture that I have. Like, oh my gosh, there's, I wonder. Anyway, got to move forward. <clears throat> they eventually did ri- arrive and everybody knew it. There was a frenzy that happened and they said, is this Naomi? And so look at Naomi's response in verse 20. She said to them, do not call me Naomi do not call me Naomi. Do not call me pleasant. Maybe before I left, I was a pleasant person. Before I left, I still had my husband. I still had my sons. Before I left, I still had food to eat. Before I left, I had everything that I needed. Before I left, I was pleasant. But listen to me, I'm not that same person anymore because the things that have been dealt to me. So she says, don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara for the Almighty has dealt bitterly with me. I went away full and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me? The Almighty has brought calamity upon me. This is where I said things just kind of, we see the, the full picture of the inner, the inner turmoil that's going on within Naomi's heart. We know that she knows that the Lord had visited the people. We know that in verse six, right? We know that, that, the, that there had been a drought and, and that was signified, as, or a famine, that was signified of God's forsaking or God's judging. But we know that in verse six, she, she, she knew that the Lord had visited the people and began to meet their need and, and to aid them. But what we see here is that, yes, Naomi may have knew that God had worked for the people and worked and came to their aid in the land, but she wasn't quite sure if God had come to her aid. She wasn't quite sure if it had been for her yet. She wasn't quite sure if God had, had, she knew what had happened, but she didn't know if God had come to her side to help yet by her saying, because she was aware that God had visited. We see her in despair. She says, don't call me Naomi, call me Mara. And first thing, first accusation that she makes towards God, she says, the Almighty has dealt has, been, has dealt very bitterly with me. She doesn't say that I just came across bad fortune. She says, the Lord has dealt bitterly with me. Second accusation, she says, I went away full. We don't know if this full means is she just talking about she had her husband and her son's and all the resources, or is she speaking here of joy and life and happiness and all of, or is it all, I think it's probably a combination of all of them. She says, when I left here, I was full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. I have none of that anymore. So why call me Naomi? Here's the third accusation. The Lord has testified against me, which means he has literally 
turned away from me. He has turned aside from me. He does not care about me any longer. And the last thing, the Almighty has brought calamity upon me. So here's the situation. They are coming back into Bethlehem and the people see this is Naomi and they say something and she explodes and she throws these accusations up towards heaven. And here's the crazy thing, and this is gonna be a truth later, but these townspeople who were murmuring, they, according to God's law, they should have been the ones to help Naomi out. In Leviticus chapter 25, 35, verse 35 says, if your brother becomes poor and cannot maintain himself with you, you shall support him as though he were a stranger and a sojourner and he shall live with you. And Isaiah 1, 17 says, bring justice to the fatherless and plead the widow's case. The reality is that these townspeople, they would have had the responsibility to do more than simply just greet her with an interest. But no one did. Nobody said, hey, we will help you. And there could be multiple reasons, maybe because they knew Ruth was a Moabite and they didn't want to have anything to do with that. Or maybe they, they, it was because that she said that it was God's judgment and that they may have thought she deserved it. Or maybe someone assumed that, that, that somebody else would take care of it. Or it could just be because when is the, when the, what's the context? What's the time error of the book of Ruth? What? the time when the judges ruled. It could just be a snapshot of this time where nobody was doing what God had called them to do. It's a mess, and so now you have this widow with her Moabite daughter-in-law who have nothing, and the people just murmur. There's no apparent help, so Naomi is in Bethlehem with a Moabite, bitter, with no resources. It's a pretty dire situation. And then verse 22 serves as a setup for the next chapter. Uh, I give Ray a hope and Luke uh, spend a little more time on that to connect. But it says, so Naomi returned and Ruth the Moabite, there it is, her daughter-in-law with her who returned from the country of Moab and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. That's really important for us to grasp that timing, the timing of when they actually got into Bethlehem. Here's a, here's a cool point. It's so that they're walking these murmurings started happening. And for the most of us, we would have checked out and went back to Moab at that moment. But she kept going. Naomi kept going. And so I need you to catch that, is that even through the murmurs, what people were saying or thinking, she still returned to Bethlehem. Barley, beginning of barley harvest would have been somewhere between uh, first fruits and Pentecost. We've talked about that over the past couple of months, somewhere mid to late April. And ultimately it's signifying the Lord was doing something that Naomi couldn't see. There was this, this harvest that was happening, this thing that was happening. Anyway, so now we're prepared, prepared for the rest of the story. That's the story. So here's what we know. We know who is where and why they are there. We know that there's two widows. They have no resources. That Naomi has resentment towards God. And the people took note of their arrival but offered no help. And the author makes sure to us know that Ruth is a Moabite. So that's what we know of the story up to this point. So... Here's a question. What do you think about Naomi's theology? 
ultimately, when she says that the Almighty has brought calamity upon me, do you know what she is accusing God of? Of doing evil to her. That's what she's literally crying out, that the Almighty, the Lord, has done evil things to me. So when I, when I ask that, what do you think about Naomi's theology? How does it make you feel for her to talk that way? I'm thankful that that is in the Bible. Because I know some of us can connect to that. Some of us have been in places in life and situations in life that we felt as if the Lord has struck me down, has brought calamity upon me. If it hasn't happened, then just hang out a little bit longer. It will. Life will happen. Can you or have you said that the Lord has emptied you, brought calamity upon you? And really what she's dealing with is is God's sovereignty. And, And so there are three things that I know that she's certain of. There's three things that, that is abundantly clear about Naomi and her struggling. Is number one is that she knows that God exists. When she's, when she's dealing with her calamity, there's, there's three things that I want, to see, want you to see is that she's not doubting that God exists because she was going through calamity. Right? You gotta, you, I want you to catch. So listen, and what I'm saying is sometimes God's sovereignty is the most comforting and the most challenging thing all at the same time. And I want us to be honest enough to agree with that. Sometimes the Bible verses that he's a very present help in time of trouble is very comforting, but also it's like, hey, bro, where you at? Like sometimes it's the most discouraging thing in the world. Uh, the, the, the things that talk about how he works all things for the good, like that's good to see the silver lining, but I can't see it right now. Like, am I the only, like... It, is it just me up here? Am I on an island right now? Like, y'all following me? Am I, should I stop preaching because I'm a heathen? Because I, I think these things, like, I understand that. And I think that's what Naomi's walking through right now. But I want you to see this, is that she never denied the existence of God because of her calamity. Number two is that, that she knew that God was sovereign, that he, that he worked in every detail of her life, not just the pleasure, but also the pain. And she was confident that God was the one that afflicted her. And thinking about Naomi, <clears throat> she understands that these things, and she would have understood the story. She, she would have known the story of, of Joseph. I, I think that she would have known that story where Joseph is sold into slavery by his brothers, and then he just goes through a mess while he's there in Egypt. But she would have known the story how God used all of these things that seemed like was wrecking Joseph's life for a, for a better purpose. I would like to think that Naomi would have known that, but what was happening? Life was keeping her eyes closed to the things that she knew about God as well. Because, I mean, and that's not saying that what her situation wasn't real, but isn't that what life does often? Is that it just swallows us up? It just covers us up, and the things we know about God begin to be contradicted about our real- by our reality, and before long we, we lose sight, we, we forget these things that we know. 
Her issue wasn't believing in God. It was that her eyes weren't open to see his work. And that's what life does. She was failing to see that and remember that God had visited his people, <coughs> that he took away the famine, that he provided a way back home, that he provided Ruth to be with her. But when we decide that God is against us, we usually exaggerate our hopelessness. We become so bitter that we can't see the rays of light peeping around the clouds. <coughs> it was God who broke the famine, as I said, and opened up the way home. Not to get ahead of myself, but it would be God who preserved a kinsman to continue Naomi's line. <coughs> it was God who constrains Ruth to stay with Naomi. But Naomi is so embittered by God's hard providence that she can't see his mercy at all at work in her life. She can't see the mountains because of the fog, if you will. So, three truths that I want us to see about God. Three truths that I want us to see about God. From this passage, I want us to see God's sovereign rule. Because she, she said, it, it, he has afflicted me. He brought me, he, I went away full. He brought me back empty. He's dealt bitterly with me. She is saying that he is sovereign. And this morning, I want us to see that God's sovereign or his sovereign rule, that God reigns over the affairs of men, that he rules the nations and he rules all families. Piper said it like this. He is, his, his reign is from the U.S. Congress to the kitchen table. Everything from a toothpick to a tadpole to the Taj Mahal are all rightly understood in relation to him. See, man, Naomi may have doubted many things at this moment, but she never doubted that God was involved in every part of her life in both pain and pleasure. She understood that he's the one that gives the rain and he takes it away, that he gives life and he takes it away as well, that in him we live, move, and we have our being, that God is sovereign over all things. You say, Justin, that is so challenging. Well, think about life without that knowledge. Think about life where there is no order or reason or purpose or somebody with a great design of someone who is orchestrating things. Think about if your suffering is wasted. Think about if there is no purpose in pain. As we said this past summer that when we stand here and we look at these things, well, God can't exist because of these things. But I say, no, he does exist. Either step we take is a step of faith. And I would say, I would rather choose to step this way, that there is a God who is sovereign over all things, who orchestrates all things. So we see God's sovereign rule, but what we also see, not to get ahead of myself, but I've got to a little bit, I want you to see God's mysterious providence. And that ultimately God was using even the time of the judges. He was using Elimelech's rebellion, the death of Elimelech and his sons. Providentially, he was working in the affairs of man to create a line for the Messiah. And so he was providentially working all of these things. God's providence is something that's very hard. 
We understand that God had dealt bitterly with Naomi. And perhaps some would say that this was owing to the sin of going to Moab and her sons marrying foreign wives. And maybe so, but maybe not. Because scripture does say that many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers them all. Neither the Old Testament nor the New Testament promises that believers <coughs> will escape affliction. But, here's, this was cool, I read this, but suppose Naomi's calamity was owing to her disobedience. Suppose the reason why God brought calamity upon her was because of her disobedience. That makes the story doubly encouraging because it shows that God is willing and able to even turn his judgments into joys. If Ruth was brought into the family by sin, it is doubly astonishing that she, made, she has made the grandmother of David and the ancestor of Jesus Christ. And the author said, don't ever think that the sin of your past means that there's no hope for your future. The third thing I want you to see about God is God's good purposes. <clears throat> see, not only does God reign in all the affairs of man, not only is his providence sometimes hard, but in all his works, he purposes are for the good and happiness of his people. Who would have imagined that in the worst of times, the period of the judges, God was quietly moving in the tragedies of a single family to prepare the way of the greatest king of Israel. Not only for that, but he was working to fill Naomi and Ruth and Boaz and others with great joy. <clears throat> so that's the three truths I want you to see about God. Now three truths for you is what I labeled them. So there's a really, we have to deal with God's sovereignty a little bit. I know I didn't answer every question about God's sovereignty in that moment. Here's the three truths for you to take home today. Number one, don't let what people may say or think keep you from getting to Bethlehem. Could you imagine if Naomi would have stopped? Now we got to turn around. I don't want to deal with the ridicule. I don't want to deal with what so-and-so may think. I don't want to deal with what so-and-so may, may say about me. Don't let the murmurs of the women in the city keep you from getting to Bethlehem. That if God is, because we know that it didn't, because in verse 22 it says they, they got there, they got to Bethlehem, they, they kept going. That's an important piece of this puzzle is that Naomi, even in her bitterness, she still returned. Like even with her not understanding all of the situation and, and everything's going on, she still kept putting one foot in front of the other and got to Bethlehem. When she gets there, what she will finally find out is that God was uh, working for her good and for her joy. And listen to me, which is the point number two, is that the return uh, is sometimes painful. In the context here, it was painful, I'm sure, for her to have to think about Elimelech and think about her sons and think about everything that she experienced for the past 10 years. And it probably wasn't easy to hear people say, oh, that don't like, life was so hard on her that it had literally physically changed her appearance. When she walked in, they, they wasn't sure if it was her or not. Now, I know that's, that's 10 years and people age in 10 years, but she went from this vibrant, pleasant person to just this grouchy, I, I'm thinking just bent over 
That's how bad life was to her. That it literally changed her appearance. But she kept going. So I say to this morning, hey, if God is calling you to something, hey, there, if you come to cross point at all, 99% of the time you're gonna have an opportunity to respond to the gospel. And there's a great chance that for some of us, in, somebody in here, that for weeks and months, maybe even years, you've been hearing this gospel being preached and God has been calling you to come to Bethlehem, to the promised land, to come to Christ, yet you fear what somebody may murmur or somebody may think. Do not let what people may think or say keep you from coming to Bethlehem. Maybe there's some things in your life that you need to confess. Maybe there's some, some repentance that needs to happen. Maybe there's some forgiveness that needs to be given. Maybe there's just some reconciliation that needs to happen between your brothers and your sisters. Listen to me. Do not let what people may say or think keep you from getting to Bethlehem. Number two is the return sometimes painful. And this is the third thing. It's just a truth to take home is that, hey, church, we're called to take care of one another. 100%. We see here that here's this lady who needed all the help in the world, yet all they did was murmur. Nobody helped. We're called to take care of one another. We're called to love on one another. We're called to, to, to throw down the rope or throw, jump in the ditch, whatever we need to do. We are called to, to get in the mud and the mire and to help one another no matter what that situation is. Another thing that could be a point is that God isn't intimidated by you or your emotions or your feelings or your thoughts. Because you know what? Her saying this didn't stop God's plan from God being God. As Luke said last week, he is faithful even when we are not. How does this point to Christ? <clears throat> Naomi says, I went away full and I came back empty and he's dealt bitterly with me. He's a afflicted me. What does that sound like to you? That the very son of God was in heaven and all of his deity, he was full and he what? Emptied himself and took on flesh and he lived a perfect life. But then his father dealt bitterly with and afflicted him and crushed him for my sin, your sin, Naomi's sin, Ruth's sin, Boaz's sin, Elimelech's sin, the Moabites' sin. That's how we see Christ in this. We see that, that through this, that we see there would be one to come who would be emptied. Now for Father's Day, two truths for Father's Day. I can't leave fathers out. Number one, and I'm done, I got, there's gonna be two quick. Number one, fathers, do not lead your family to Moab. Amen. You follow me? Like, do not. Like, we're only a chapter in, and Elimelech's decision to lead his family to Moab, you see the, 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 the junk that's happened. Hey, listen to me, fathers. It's our, it's our responsibility. Husbands, it's our responsibility to lead our family in, in the ways that God has called us to, not to take them to, not to, take them to Moab. 
So I'm, I'm, I'm urging you, I'm challenging you to, to, to lead your families. I'm calling you this morning to, to lead your families in a way that God's called you. Moab represents many things. Moab, Moab represents self-sufficiency. Moab represents fixing my own issues. Moab represents where things are better on the other side of the fence, if you will. Moab represents so many things. Listen to me, Father, do not lead, and husband, do not lead your families outside of the place that God has called you to be. It's always gonna end in destruction. And I think maybe some of us need to repent of that this morning. And the second thing is I felt really led by the Lord this morning to share this. Because I know Father's Day brings up a lot of emotions. Whether you had a bad dad or your dad has passed away or whatever. I felt really led to tell you all this morning that God is deeply concerned for those who have lost their husbands. Here you have Naomi, the story about Naomi and Ruth in the whole first chapter here is about two women who lost their husbands. It's important. It's important to God. I know Father's Day brings up so many emotions and maybe this morning you're your husband has passed, and so you think about him on this Father's Day. I want you to know that, that God is deeply concerned for you. Man, he, he writes it over and over again in the scripture. Here's just a few, few of them. Deuteronomy 10, 18. He executes justice for the fatherless and the widow. He loves the sojourner, giving him food and clothing. Psalm 68, 5. He's the father of the fatherless and the protector of widows is God in his holy habitation. Psalm 146.9, the Lord watches over the sojourners and he upholds the widow and the fatherless. Psalm 147.3, he heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. And in James chapter one, we see that religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction. Somebody, maybe... Somebody needed to hear this morning that God is concerned about you as well. So we see the story. We see the hard truth of God's sovereignty. And here's my encouragement to you this morning. If you're in that place of walking through how can God be this, what I think he should be in my life, and I've experienced this. My encouragement to you would be is keep walking to Bethlehem. They don't stop on the way. Journey through those questions, those thoughts in the presence of God. Ask God those questions. Walk through his scripture. Get help Get people, find people who can talk with you through these things because it'd be so, so important. (coughs) Fathers, don't lead your families to Moab. Let's pray, Father, we love you. We thank you for your love for us. (coughs) Thank you for your word. We thank you for this story. It's a hard story, but very relatable story.
God, I know when we talk about your sovereignty <clears throat> and even saying that you're the one who afflicts, God, for some of us, that makes us, makes us feel weird to think about that. <laughs> but God, we know that any affliction from you is to bring out back greater joy. So God, I pray that you help us navigate that as a church. God, I pray that we commit as a body to, to return next week so we can see how your sovereignty works things, how your kindness and your power intertwine together to redeem and to restore. God, we thank you that Ruth chapter one, verses 19 through 21 were not the end of Naomi's journey. But God, that we have three more chapters to read. And that's the same for our life. God, we understand that right now we may be in chapter one, but God, may you open our eyes to see that there's a chapter two of your deliverance and your goodness. God, I pray this morning we respond in a way that you lead us. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. You can stand. Luke and I will be standing there on front. If you need to talk or chat or pray, we will be here.